Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. everyone and welcome back to the Phileas Club. In this show what we do is something amazing made possible by the internet and which is not affected by the pandemic so much because we do it on the internet already. We get people from different parts of the world, sometimes very, very far apart. We get together around a cozy Skype conversation and we talk about what's been happening and what you get out of it, hopefully, is some different perspectives, different opinions and uh, different views on the happenings of the world and it enriches your life or at least it's entertaining while you're doing boring stuff like you know your dishes and driving to work now you're probably not driving to work but you still need to be entertained or at least informed we're gonna strive to do both my name is patrick beja and i'm very glad to be welcoming to the show two first comers uh first of all hannah from Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. How's it going, Hannah? It's great, thank you. It, it's, is it, though? Is it? Well, <laughs> no. <laughs> but hey, it's great to be doing something different, talking to different people, you know, yeah. who are not my husband, my child, so <laughs> yay! <laughs> uh, absolutely, and uh, you are one of the two uh, co-hosts of uh, the Southeast Asia Travel Show, which is a podcast that uh, just launched. And uh, that is a great time to be launching a podcast about travel, isn't it? Yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, actually, it's it's kind of timely in a way because we talk more about the travel industry rather than uh, travel course. tips. So um, in a way, there's more to talk about, I guess. Mm. You know, more people, you know, want to hear about... Uh, your take on it and any insights you can share because I think everybody is desperate for kind of good news right um but yeah it's a funny time to have started a podcast um yeah. we just started in January at the beginning this year um and yeah I mean I'm in the travel industry anyhow which again is not really a great industry <laughs> to be in it's a little bit of a difficult one at the moment um but we're all, we're all just trying to, to find our way around it. Um, so I'm based here in Kale in Malaysia, Kuala Lumpur. Um, I'm originally from the UK, but I've been in Malaysia the last uh, eight years or so now. 
so I'm a bit of a, a local here almost, I like to think. Um, and we've now been in lockdown for uh, six weeks. Mm-hmm. So it's getting a little bit a little bit old now. We've still got another two weeks left. So it's meant to be lifted lockdown. Here's meant to be lifted 12th of May. Um, but we'll see. They keep doing this thing where they keep extending it every two weeks. Right. So just as yeah. it gets to the end. They'll extend it another two weeks. Then extend it another yeah. two weeks. <laughs> it's, it's possibly, I mean, we'll see what happens. But uh, we'll talk about this more in just a little bit and all the fun that that's yeah. been. Uh, but first, let me welcome the second guest on the show, Paul. Actually, I, I'm not sure how you, I, I should pronounce your last name. Is it Jiguer? Jiguer? Uh, it's French in origin. But uh, I guess I'll pronounce it the French way. Jiguer. Paul Jiguer. Yeah. That is correct. I figured if anybody I know was going to get it right, you would. Because <laughs> my high school couldn't get it right for four years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am very glad to be of service. So uh, you are in Calgary, Canada. We bonded over uh, weather reports, <laughs> which are very similar. And um, yeah, so it's it's pretty cold out there. You are uh, in lockdown as well, I understand. And you have kids. And you were telling us just a moment ago how you would much rather uh, have one kid well i actually that might make you sound bad you are very happy with your two kids i suppose but it's more work than just one kid which is wonderful math right yes it is it is it definitely i could be worse my sister-in-law has five kids in her house with her the oh my oldest God. is 16 now and the youngest is like nine, 10 I think she but, just turned 10. So Why? Paul, why? Why would anyone <laughs> That's what do I this? Ask her all the time. <laughs> yeah, actually, you know, even my sister has got six. <gasps> kind of a mix of stepchildren and, and natural children. Mm. Oh, I just can't imagine it. And she okay, works from that... home. She's always worked from home. And now I'm like, how on earth did you do that? <laughs> You're a superwoman. <laughs> it, is, it is kind of uh, showing us how insane this is. Although, I guess, often... Uh, hopefully, when people are stay-at-home parents, they don't also have a full-time job that they are expected to do um, at the same time. But um, Paul, you're you're actually—is it still the case you're you're a stay-at-home dad, or you were for a little while, right? Um, right now, I currently am technically because of the pandemic. I was laid off. Um, I think I'm going on four. Four weeks of being uh, out of work. Um, we have a very strong uh, employment insurance program in Canada, so I'm being paid by the government basically right now to stay home and okay. um, take care of my kids and everything. So, and still, so it's it's your main. Yeah, I I, I misunderstood. I thought you had been for a little bit longer, but so you it is essentially you're taking care of this and uh, you're you're wife partner wife uh is working wife. so you're it's your primary responsibility to be taking care of the kids and you're slowly going insane correct um <laughs> you know what to be fair the first couple of weeks were okay there was a middle part of the last because my kids have been home now for almost seven weeks yeah. And um, the middle part, I had a couple of days where a week or so where it was bad and I just wasn't interested in uh, 
helping get their online school organized and stuff because it just was kind of a lot of extra work. But now that the weather's kind of turned a little nicer out here and our snow's melting and we can start to go outside and get some actual fresh air, it's uh, getting a little better. Mm. Yeah, it feels like there was a kind of, I, I don't want to say elation in the beginning, that's obviously very much uh, too strong of a word, but there was enthusiasm in the beginning, like, all right, we're going to do this, or at least courage. And over the past, I would say there was a turning point around, around week four or five. It feels like everyone who has kids, and that's very anecdotal evidence uh, on my part. Uh, those who don't have kids are kind of on a on a, on a fairly even uh, line. Those who have kids are like, oh my god, this has to stop. Like, I don't care. We have to reopen the schools. Not I don't care, but it, there's a, a, a desperate tone in the voice of the people who have kids who are like, please, can we? Like, I really hope daycare reopens soon. If it doesn't, yeah. I better. Yeah, it's yeah, the same I for you, I was just actually about 10 minutes before we started this, I was just frantically reading a news article online that they had just released from our health minister saying, oh, no, childcare and education are going to be the last things to reopen. <gasps> what? Oh, my God. I, I Come would, on, guys. I would move away from Malaysia, like, right now. If that was the case. Like, <laughs> yeah, was I'm fun. going back to the UK, whatever. <laughs> like, I'll just hitch a ride on a, like, in a cargo plane somewhere. And um, So let's talk about this a little bit, about how it's been uh, going in Malaysia. But before we do, mm. I just want to thank the patrons, uh, the patrons of this show at patreon.com slash the Phileas Club. If you enjoy the show, uh, please please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash the Phileas Club. The link is in the show notes. You can do that in a couple of minutes. It is the way the show is funded, the reason the show exists. So if you enjoy it, if you've been having a, a good time, or if you're getting something out of it, please do consider going to patreon.com slash the Phileas Club. And again, the link is in the show notes. Thank you a million times to those who uh, choose to support the show, because first of all, you are the reason the show that uh, exists. And second of all, you are my favorite people in the world. Uh, my son is a close second, along with my wife. But you are my <laughs> favorite people. Um, all right. So Kuala Lumpur, uh, honestly, I'll be, I, I was excited to have you on the show, Hana, because I don't know a lot about Malaysia. And I'm very curious to hear how things have been going in a part of the world that I really don't know much about. Um, obviously hit by the uh, pandemic as well. Uh, yeah. About six weeks ago, sheltering started. It seems like it's on the on par with with uh, Western countries in terms of uh, the stage of the pandemic, um, and it's dealing with it in the same way. Can you tell us more? Yeah, I mean, so I think the funny thing actually about being in Southeast Asia is everybody was on the alert. I think a lot lot earlier than they were um, in uh, Western countries and certainly in like Europe and North America, um, just because the proximity to China and there's so much more traffic between um, Malaysia and other Southeast Asian countries like Thailand and Singapore to China. So they're already, I think, by the beginning, uh, even mid-January, I remember I came down with a quite heavy cold and I was still going out, you know, and you're sneezing and things and people are giving you a look like, Really? <laughs> should, should I be avoiding you? Have, have, you, have you got something? Well, um, do you know if you ha if you got COVID-19? Because you might have. <laughs> I don't think so. But, I w I, you know, you, you panic about it because I'd just been mm. to Thailand and then I'd researched 
uh, that the flight that you know that had left an hour before mine had gone to Wuhan. Then you start thinking, oh my god, maybe <laughs> maybe I had it. But I'm pretty sure I didn't. <laughs> well, I mean, you, maybe not, but maybe you did. I've heard from know, several right? people who, yeah. And in which case, actually, we're not sure that uh, immunity is guaranteed if you've had it. So maybe you're, you know, we're all out of luck in that case. But if you you have had it, then your family probably has had it. And if you have immunity, then you're fine. You can just go out and have fun and party. Right. That would be cool. But... <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Um, so, yeah, I mean, so even from the beginning of uh, January, there was already this kind of awareness about. Um... Oh, there oh. she she left the conversation. Oh, my God. I'm sure she's going to come back. Uh, Internet is what happens when uh, you are connected to people from very far away. So let's wait for her to come back. There she goes. She's back. Hey. Welcome back, Hannah. Hello. Yes, we can hear you again. I guess your internet dropped out for a second. No matter, uh, you were telling us about how it went. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Um, internet. <laughs> um, yeah, so already in, in uh, you know, January, there was this awareness of coronavirus, and it just kind of steadily, steadily built. Um, and our numbers are still, still pretty low. Um, so I just checked them out this evening and it's still less than 6,000 cases. Mm. We've had 100 deaths. Um, that's it. Um, but Malaysia took the step of, um, you know, doing quite a severe lockdown. Um, so that was about six weeks ago now. Initially, it was only for a two-week period. And then like I said they keep extending it for two weeks and extending it for two weeks. Um, but it's... Um, strict in that you're not even allowed out for exercise um so you're allowed out to really? you know, do essential services the supermarkets and things but yeah you, you can't just go for a jog you know i can't go down to the the park with my son so essentially we are trapped in a, a two-bedroom uh, apartment in a condo and on the 28th floor so it's a so, good job that i've got a big balcony because <laughs> that, that's our only fresh air every day <laughs> your son has not gone out for six weeks yeah he's not been out for six. well wow. I, for the first week we had a rooftop we have a rooftop top garden here and that was still open mm. and then after the first week of lockdown even that was shut down so yeah he's not he's not left the apartment actually for five five weeks now i wonder if he started to forget the outside <laughs> <laughs> you know it's well first of all uh let me retract my uh, uh uh implication that i was somehow in a difficult situation um because compared to you i have it incredibly easy the house is really big we live in the countryside in the middle of the forest i should not be complaining and yet, I managed to find a way to complain. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that seems hey, to be harsh. Everyone does, right? Everyone's yeah. got their own little thing. <laughs> mm. And so, it, yeah, it seems like things are are going. Uh, there, there is a um, delay though between it seems what's been happening in Malaysia and other uh, Asian countries, like mm. obviously China, but you know Taiwan, uh, South Korea, etc. Is it just because the uh, uh, geographically it's actually farther away than what I might I might imagine uh, sitting here in Europe, or why is that so? Hmm. Uh, I don't know. Well, I think a lot of well, actually, no. The <laughs> I 
I do know. So they they got a bit lax. They got a little bit complacent back at the government here back in, um, I think it was the end of February or the beginning of March. Mm. And basically they let this massive uh, religious gathering of about 20,000 people take place in Kuala Lumpur. And of course, there yeah. were a few infected people there and it just spread. So it's something like 40% of all of the cases, something around that um, have all come from this one religious gathering. Um, so that was really the thing that kind of pushed Malaysia over the edge. They were doing okay. They were mm. controlling it. You know, they were following up, contact tracing and all of that. But just this this one gathering just wiped out all of those, uh, <laughs> all of those efforts. Um, so after that, they just decided, I think, like the only way to really, you know, try to get this under control is to impose a lockdown. Mm. Uh, which they did pretty quickly and you know i think everybody actually in the country was thinking this is the right decision you know you we all kind of suspected it was coming he just didn't really know when so in february i felt like i was a you know I, I, i'm self-employed and i felt like i was in a kind of race against time to get client work done because i knew at any moment they could mm. declare that lockdown's happening nurseries shutting down and and that's it so it was <laughs> which it yeah, did really really racing against some unknown time <laughs> mm. it's um it, it seems like the yeah as you were saying the population is not really fighting it uh understands why it's necessary which i think for the most part people in most of the world are uh in this it, we're in the same situation even though you find mm. You see, of course, you know, on TV, the extreme cases, people who yeah. are protesting and but it still seems like in Asia in general, people are more understanding of the why it is necessary. Um, I guess it's the same in Malaysia as well, a little bit more. Uh, yeah, no, I think so. Um, I mean, and, yeah, I mean, perhaps it helps that some of these governments not necessarily Malaysia, but some of the other governments in Southeast Asia are a lot more authoritarian as well. So mm. it's uh, people, I guess, are already used to uh, doing what the government tells them to do. <laughs> right. It is the uh, Malaysian, are the Malaysian people, uh, because uh, again, that is something that's a little bit of a cliche, but we are mm. in the West more individualistic than uh, in, in Asia, where the common good and common behavior mm -hmm. is a value that is more prevalent. Um, does that apply to yeah. Malaysia as well? I don't think it does, actually, hmm. weirdly, but <laughs> I've really detected it. No, I mean, and I think that's even why they've been so strict in terms of telling people that they're not allowed to go out and exercise, because I think that they worry that people, if they did say that, people would um, abuse that and, mm. and say, oh, I'm just going out for a jog and just go down their friend's house for a, a cup of coffee or something. Interesting. <laughs> so, but still with the strictness, I'm trying to get to the bottom of this because I, I'm not sure I understand why it seems to be working in Malaysia and why it doesn't seem to be working as well. Uh, even though I'm saying, you know, most people understand why it's happening, but, you know, people are impatient and they're, they, you have reports everywhere of, of people not respecting the thing and they want to, to start talking about uh, uh, going back to normal already, which seems oh. very premature. So it's just the strictness of the instructions, which is getting across the importance of it, or maybe actually the, the that religious gathering was kind of a warning uh, shot in the country, maybe? 
Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it also comes down to being in Southeast Asia again. Um, SARS was something that particularly uh-huh. affected Southeast Asia. I don't think it hit Malaysia very badly, but definitely Singapore. And that's kind of still within the memory of a lot of people, I think. Um, so I think once they've kind of saw this, they thought, oh, actually, let's let's just obey. I mean, it would be interesting to see how much longer this tolerance goes on, because, of course, six weeks in it's going to be two months in total eight weeks that we know of may still be extended and of course now the economy is really suffering a lot of people have been laid off uh made redundant put on no paid you know unpaid leave or taken pay cuts um so it will be interesting now now that the cases are are really dropping to see how much longer that kind of tolerance Mm. for such a strict lockdown goes on yeah, it seems um, the, the you know I, I reference the SARS epidemic all the time, and I, my I mean it's a, a very well known theory, but I, it seems to make sense to me um, that it it was kind of that warning shot across the bow the bow 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 uh, that people <laughs> have uh, really integrated in their uh, psyche in Asia and. This, it's a much bigger one, but this is the same for us. And if there ever is another pandemic, which there probably will be, um, given the state of the world. Yeah, um, absolutely. People will understand the importance of social distancing much earlier in the process. So it's interesting to hear that you're, you know, confirming this. So it's interesting to hear that you're Mm. saying I'm right, essentially. I love it when people do that. So thank you very much. (laughs) Okay, all right. <laughs> Try um, and help you do that. <laughs> Paul, how's it going in Canada? I I wanted to talk about Finland and and France, uh, but l- let's save that for uh, later. H- how's it going in Canada? It would seem like the uh, international cliche is that Canadians are so nice that they would probably uh, agree to everything from the beginning. Uh, tell us, is that the case? Um. I think it's been pretty well handled in Canada so far. Um, like I said, we've kind of been in um, soft lockdown since early March. We kind of started restricting, you know, people working and telecommuting and stuff like that. And um, March it was March fifteenth, actually, when we got the email that they were closing all the schools, and they immediately closed all the schools in the province for the rest of the school year. It wasn't mm-hmm. a, oh, you know, spring break's coming up, we'll see how it goes after that. No, they went straight to we're done with school for the rest of the year. Um, the initial plan was to just pass all the kids, you know, just give them passing grades and move them on to the next grade and so forth, but. They've since then started uh, more, you know, distance learning type of programs and stuff like that for the kids and whatnot. So, and honestly, I think our numbers have been fairly decent. Um, most of the projections and scales look like we're in line with a lot of like European countries doing much better than the worst cases, like well below what um, the U.S. is experiencing and whatnot. So, um in my province in Alberta, we are prairies and landlocked. Mm. And of those, we're one of the harder hit outside of the two much, much larger provinces of Ontario and Quebec. And honestly, across the country, our hardest hit areas so far have been uh, 
the care homes and long-term care facilities for the elderly is um, everything that's being hit the hardest here. Yeah, that's and, the case in France as well. I don't know about Finland specifically, but in France, I think 40 to 40% of the dead are in um, elder care facilities, which is obviously tragic, but... Um, Yeah, so it's it seems, again, a fairly similar situation. Um, I forgot to mention, for those who don't know, uh, Malaysia has about 1.8 million people. Um, so to relate to the number of cases you were talking about, in Finland, we have um, five, six million people. And we have, I think it's about 100, maybe a little bit more now, 150 dead. Um, so comparatively, we started... Um, lockdown a lot earlier in the process because we were seeing what was happening in our uh, southern neighbors and like holy crap we need to get on this and people are kind of mostly understanding of the issues and following the rules um it, in france it might be the only and for those who don't know i'm talking about both because i'm french and i live in finland but um in france people are I don't know how to describe it. Everyone is observing the rules, but kind of antsy and angry at the way the government is handling some things. Um, and belligerent might be, maybe it's the right way to, to say it, but it seems like it, it, it's a, a, like in the US, but in a much smaller and more reasonable scale. It's like, we're not doing as well as the Germans and, and why is the government not handling it better? And we want to like, it's a country where, I don't know, everyone has uh, people who will say something sucks and those people will be amplified. But it seems like in France, a lot of people are saying, are complaining about a lot of things, which everyone who is not French is going like, duh, it's France. Right. Um, that's the image we have, I guess. But uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. But um, it's like the government proposes some things and there's a section of the population who is like, oh, you're so dumb. And like opening the schools. Oh, why are you opening the schools? So we'll do it like progressively in, in steps. Why are you doing it in steps? This is so stupid. And like, I don't know. And it seems like both in Canada and Malaysia, it, it, the the. I can't quite put my finger on it, but from your reports both, it seems like things are, maybe the way of putting it is, seems like things are going smoothly. Now, you know, smoothly in this situation might be a little bit of a, 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 a I don't know, a, a, not the right word, but given the context, they're going as smoothly as they can, uh, is the feeling I'm getting. Is that a fair assessment, Hannah, or...? Yeah, I think so. I mean, definitely during the first week, there were loads of people who were still breaking all of the rules. Um, and then the police started arresting them and then the, mm. the levels went back down. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I don't I know what you mean. I, I, I think in this case, maybe belligerent is the it could be <laughs> could be the right word for the French in their approach. Definitely not the Malaysian approach, I don't think. And you're saying that initially people were uh, breaking the rules. That's funny because that's what I heard about everyone in every country. And <laughs> when when people were talking about their own country, they were saying, oh, of course, the insert name of nationality here are doing this because we're idiots and we can't 
respect the rules and and it's it's like everyone was putting it in very local terms when even in Finland where people are usually fairly observant of rules as well even in Finland some people were not uh following the rules initially and it took about a week until people under understood the gravity of the situation and i think it's some kind of a psychological process that you need some people need to process it and they do that by you know going out in parks and uh spreading the virus i guess I is it the case in canada as <laughs> <Yeah>. well <laughs> uh, were people also not observing the rule the rules in the first week um I can't speak for most of the rest of the country, um, but based on the numbers, I think most of them have been pretty good. Um, I definitely observed in Calgary that um, we were not the greatest and probably still aren't in the province of Alberta, which for comparison, you said Finland's about 5 million. We're just over 4.3 in the province of Alberta. Mm. And... Calgary is our hotspot. Over 60% of the cases are in this city alone. And is it the biggest city, are, though? That, that would make sense, right? Um, I believe we're close. Edmonton is the provincial capital, so that's where our legislature and government is. Um, I believe it's slightly smaller, but it's not a significant difference. We're kind of one of the... Um, only prairie provinces with two fairly large uh, cities like that in it. Um, whereas the, the, our other prairie provinces next to us, Saskatchewan and Manitoba, are both much, much smaller, like just over a million total in there. And they have way lower numbers because they're more spread out and there's not that many people there. They're also landlocked and we're not international um, travel hubs. One of the things the country did do as a whole early on was restrict international travel and locked it down to only four airports in the whole country. And Calgary was one of them, so that is probably a reason why we had higher cases. But, I mean, just from my observations of going grocery shopping, I was early to be wearing gloves when I could, a mask when I could when I went into the stores, and I still see lots of people who are not doing that. You know, they're constantly asking people, you know, one person per family come into the grocery store and do the shopping. I see lots and lots of people as couples and trios doing their grocery mm. shopping still in this situation. So, you know, and just on Saturday night, about five houses down from me, I was um, heading out to pick up some uh, pre-ordered ice cream for me and my wife and the kids. And... There was a neighbor having a garage party. It had oh, been wow. almost like 20, you know, late teen, early 20s kids hanging out in their garage, drinking and partying. And I'm like, are you guys insane? So, you know, I called the cops mm. and the cops came and broke it up as best I can tell. So, okay. That's probably That's why we in Calgary are not listening. And Calgary as a whole, is a very conservative um, part of the country. Mm. It is very much of a mentality that here they think how they make things run in America is much, much better. And they would love to have <laughs> an American-type system here. Wow. Actually, we're, we're going to get to that in a second. But I do want to mention, it really seems that maybe not the entirety of the 
um, reason, but a huge factor, and that makes sense, but a huge factor of uh, how things are spreading is the p population density. And that's very obvious. But um, it, it, it's, I'm sure that behavior, I mean, it's not that I'm sure, obviously, behavior has uh, impacts it. But even it's not the few exceptions, the few idiots that are going to keep partying that are going to dramatically change the situation of the the country, it seems the population density density is going to matter at that point when you put in place lockdown. Um, I, I do want to go back to Hannah to ask about mm. how uh, Malaysians see, I'm going to say, um, you know, other countries. And I guess when I say other countries, obviously, I'm very uh, self-centered. So I think Western countries. <laughs> but I, I suspect when I ask about other countries in Malaysia, people are going to think about, uh, you know, Asian countries, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, well, being from the UK, I'll probably think of European countries too. Okay, um, thank you. But um, how, how do Malaysians see them? Especially in the context of this crisis, like if, if the answer yeah, might yeah, be yeah, yeah. they don't even care about what's happening in, in Europe or in the US. No, well, I mean, actually, there's a lot of kind of affinity between Malaysia and the UK, um, simply because Malaysia is part of the Commonwealth. It used mm. to be part of the British Empire. They were still under the British, I think, until the 50s or 60s. Um, so there is a great interest about what's happening in the UK in Malaysia. And that's kind of reported in the press and on social media and things. And I think people in Malaysia still couldn't believe that things like concerts were still going on in the UK. And that people were just going on, you know, around like normal when, you know, in Malaysia, everyone was wearing masks and yeah. avoiding going outside and, and that kind of thing. I mean, even me personally, when I look at how Europe has handled it um, initially, I actually feel a bit angry mm. <laughs> in a way because I saw, you know, you, you know, in, in Asia, you've seen all these Asian countries starting to really take it very seriously and have it under control. And then you just see the US and Europe just kind of letting that advantage that China had kind of given them that head start kind of go to waste and not be prepared at all. And then suddenly when it hits, go, oh, my God, I didn't know it was going to be so bad. Yeah, mm. Well, if you had listened and looked at what was happening in Asia, um, you perhaps would have been a bit better prepared than you are now um, and wouldn't have let, you know, this this, this huge crisis uh, develop to quite such an oh, extent. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because yeah. it, it's, it's, I mean, uh, to me, it feels a little bit like hindsight. And because Asia, as we discussed before, ha had the hindsight of SARS, yeah. I suspect, you know, with SARS, they didn't, they weren't as efficient Absolutely. as they were being now, yeah, right? I think so. yeah. And I, I think I mentioned this in the previous episode. Um, I rewatched, like many people did, uh, Contagion the Soderbergh <gasps> movie. Yeah, I did. And now it's all I can think about. <laughs> and, you know, you watch it. I, I, I saw it uh, when it came out, like in 2012, was it? And it, it felt like a normal disaster movie, right? Uh, you know, Soderbergh yeah. angle. But it, and, and now when I watched it, I, it felt like I was watching, I don't know, you know, uh, uh, medieval peasants fighting the plague. I was like, are you like what are when are you going to start social distancing like from the the 
tenth minute <laughs> of the show of the of the movie, I was like, "What are you doing? What are you doing? What are what what are you doing?" Like it's it's the and and you don't understand. You just don't know if you haven't. You can learn about things in a book. You can learn about a war in a book. If you haven't been, I suspect because I have never been in the war. But if you haven't been on the field of battle. You don't know. You don't know what to do. You don't know how you're going to react. And it feels a little bit like this is the same in that, you you know, of course, when we look at it now, we're like, we should have done this. We should have had this prepared. We should have oh. known that this was going to happen. But yes, of course, we should have. But it's hard for me to blame um you know, people who, who weren't even, and that might be a fault on my part, even when there are people in, in places of responsibility and, and power where they should know all of this, because of course, when it's abstract, you're pulled in 15 different directions because there are 15 yeah. different potential world-ending emergencies that uh, experts are, are screaming at you about. Um, so obviously this one being the one that materialized, we should have been prepared, I guess next time we will be prepared for for a pandemic. That's that's fairly certain. But um, I don't know. It's very interesting that you're you're saying the way you're looking at the West from Malaysia is like the way I I was looking at uh the world of uh, Contagion the movie, having known what social distancing does. But um. I, I want to ask specifically about the U.S. as well. Um, obviously, we try to not be uh, too over-emphatic on this show and, and to welcome all kinds of uh, opinions and views respectfully. Uh, still, there's no denying that the uh, government in the U.S. is often, because of the person who leads it, fairly... Um, fairly theatrical let's put it like that and so with that theatrical uh, aspect in mind are malaysians or even uh, english people i suppose how do they look at the at the u.s we don't have a u.s person on the show today uh but let's be proxies for them or not proxies but let's judge them because we don't have one to contradict us here um yeah what do you think about the way it's been happening in the u.s Hannah? Hello? Oh, well, the internet no. is being uh, shifty again. I guess I'll ask the question to uh, the, the... Unless Hannah is back. Are you back? She's not back. She's back, but she can't hear us. I'll ask... Up there. Yeah, I'll ask Paul then. Um, what's your view slash opinion on uh, what, the way it's being handled in the U.S.? As for me, it's probably right on par with most of the world. I think they're uh, atrocious in that um, the uh, way that their government has handled things. I mean, I get that they're a more regional country and their states have more power. And some of the states are a little bit better than others. But, I mean, in general, like, you read the stories about how the states are having to you know fight with the federal government over getting supplies and how it's passing through private companies just to jack up the price and more profit for all those companies and 
you know, you see their protests for reopening stuff and whatnot. And I mean, don't get me wrong, we're having those lined up here in Alberta as well. Um, really? It's about two, two and a half, three weeks ago. Oh yeah, you uh, you guys had your yellow vest protesters in France for a while there. They uh, they sprung up here in Alberta and Canada in general for all the total opposite and wrong reasons for why you had yellow vest protesters in France. Mm. But um, we had a group of them about three, eh, it was probably close to three weeks ago, protesting um, in Calgary with big signs. The virus is a hoax. Our prime minister is, you know, caused this all and he's lying to us. And I mean, if the last few years have taught us something, it's that there are extremes that we will... It, I think psychologically we're, we're kind of uh, structured to look at these and be scared because, you know, when there's a fire somewhere, then you need to start running. But they are as surprising as it is that they even exist, that, you know, people, some people refuse to vaccinate their kids. As surprising as that is, the fact is they exist. But they're also, I guess, for anti-vaxxers, it's a, a concerning number. But the people who go and demonstrate are a minority, right? The, the, the very uh, right-wing people in the U.S., who go and, and demand reopening and, and say they want a haircut. Uh, there are a few dozen, a few hundred, maybe at most, in a state. And I'm, I'm being the devil's advocate here, but it, I think there should definitely be uh, federal guidelines in the U.S. and the federal government should probably be um, directing things a little bit better But at the same time, we just said, depending on the national, the, the geography, the geography of your um, local region, things are going to be very, very different. And as we know, the, the U.S. is very large and different states have hugely different um, population density and situations and everything. So it, it might make sense to uh, say... Well, maybe not let every state fend for itself, but at least leave a lot of auto autonomy to the states in the way they're handling it. Um, have I convinced anyone of this? It seems all of these seem like reasonable arguments to me, um, even if, yes, there should be more guidance, I'm sure. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'll get back to Hannah. Um, how do the, the Malaysians see the US? Is it also seen as something of a spectacle or yeah i think so i think mm. so um i mean i would say it probably doesn't dominate the headlines quite as much as uh over in europe i think but um you know especially in the way that they're handling covid 19 but yeah i mean from what i've seen people <laughs> just uh, you know trump's comments about drinking disinfectant and everything else i mean that will get plenty of coverage over here in mm. malaysia <laughs> yeah okay so i guess it's it's the same everywhere no matter where you're from you know i wonder yes. if he if he you know another president was doing the exact same thing um well i mean taking the exact same decisions from a federal standpoint, but wasn't a buffoon that was doing a, a spectacle on TV, I wonder if things wouldn't be 
considered less bad just because he is such a uh, uh irresponsible in the way he communicates i don't i mean i don't know i don't what i've what i started fantasizing about um in recent weeks was i would love to see a tv show where in an alternate reality uh he would have lost the election and how things would have been over the past four years with Hillary Clinton as a as the president, just to imagine. And it would need to be a well-written show where it's not just, you know, she conquers the world and is triumphant, like she does everything well because obviously she's a Democrat, so everything goes perfectly. It would need to be a, a realistic take on, you know, the different, essentially, I guess, the West Wing, uh, which is not super realistic. Well, but tries to... actually, there no? was, okay. I, I don't know if you watch a show called The Good whether you ever used to follow a show called The Good Wife and then there's The Good Fight, oh. which is like, uh, it's kind of yes. follows lawyers in Chicago. Uh, I, I, love the, opening, I love The Good Wife. They, I love The Good Fight. Don't spoil the last oh, season. I'll, I'll, oh, I'll okay, watch it. Okay, okay. But the, the, first, the, the, the latest season has come out and the first episode is exactly that. It's what would have happened if Hillary had won. And it's very clever. Very interesting. Oh, my actually. God. And it's not all roses. <laughs> okay, we well go. then. I, oh, I love, I mean, it is an extremely... Uh, left-wing show but it also has uh, some times of reckoning and of it, I think yeah I, I loved The Good Wife and the spin-off the, the Good Fight is really good I was surprised so there you go our recommendation for, for the there day go. Yeah. go watch it quick and it's so <laughs> great to have uh, actors and actresses that aren't 20-somethings which I'm not a 20-something yeah. anymore but I don't know that that's the reason I like it it's just I don't know. It's refreshing. It's a great show. Yeah. Um, it's a smart show. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, yeah. So I guess, uh, uh, is there anything else that either of you wants to uh, add about how things have been going locally? Like things I might not really think about because I don't know um, your countries. So I'm just, I just have, you know, my experiences as a frame of reference. Uh, or maybe even something that has nothing to do with the pandemic, uh, potentially. Hmm. The only thing from Malaysia is that everybody now loves our health director general or health DG, as they call him. That everybody's like on social media, you just constantly see people heaping praise upon him. Little kids are writing him letters. Really? <laughs> Framing the letters he writes back to them. There's like this this hero cult forming around this guy. This this civil servant. Wait, what? How did that happen? I thought like because is he is it because the country did such a good job at containing it or like because it in, yeah. again here uh, maybe it's because I have France yeah. as a frame of reference. Everyone is complaining about everything all the time, which again we have a lot of dead, so that makes sense. But uh, yeah, it's because yeah. he did a good job. Um, I think it's just one, because the government here is, well, there's a lot going on politically anyway, and a lot of very negative perception against the government. And in fact, the current government, it's a bit complicated, but they kind of got in through a, a backdoor and were not the government that were voted in. So I think the virtue of this, this health director general is that he's a civil servant, so he's not a politician. And Everything he says seems to make sense, and he's very, very sensible guy, and he's telling you the truth. And so I think everybody is just gravitating towards him, you know, kind of forgetting mm. what the prime minister says. It's what does the health DG say? <laughs> <laughs> what, what, 
what should we do next? <laughs> so maybe he'll be the next prime minister. Who knows? Well, that sounds incredibly refreshing. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's nice. I kind of want to live in Malaysia now. Um, so oh, really? thank you very much. I, I don't Good know. It seems, yeah, it seems like everything's going pretty well. Um, so far. <laughs> Paul, what about Canada? Anything else you want to add before we close the show off? Uh, not much. We've been, like I said, we've done pretty well. I think our biggest thing was the federal government very quickly implemented a, um, uh, a really good response benefit. Like the U.S. got their, you know, $1,200 check one time to help them out, whereas they brought in what we called the Canadian Re Emergency Response Benefit, which is basically like an employment insurance and even people who didn't normally in qualify for that were able to apply for that and are getting um, $500 a week, um, you know, tax-free basically right now to help cover their expenses while they stay home and everything. And it's really sparked up a debate in the product country about what we should be maybe paying everybody and that, you know, if this is what the government considers the minimum amount of money you need to kind of survive... How do we justify companies that aren't paying that much when you work full time regularly? Mm. So um, that's that to me has been one of the bright spots is that this kind of debate has come up. I know Spain has brought in something similar and working it as a universal basic income idea, which I think is an interesting thing to see how that'll happen. And I'm that's kind of my thing with it. It's to try to look at the bright sides and that this is going to change how a lot of countries view a lot what of is required to survive, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. What people need to do to, to live and that maybe we need to look at, you know, different ways of doing things. Do we need such dense cities nowadays when, you know, internet is becoming more readily available to work from home for everybody. And if we can cut back on all that, you know, cars on the road and stuff like that, we can, you know, make a bigger impact on things we didn't think we could before. Yeah, it seems there's going to be changes everywhere. Um, certainly, I mean, one of the promises from the president when we get out of the crisis in France is a rethinking of <laughs> the healthcare system. And we definitely have a better one than many other countries, but certainly oh. it's underfunded as everywhere else in the world that yeah. do have good health care systems. Um, there's things like uh, autonomy on an EU level about many essential things, which is going to be uh, thought of very, very seriously. But even smaller things like in Finland, for example, when you're laid off, you, you get unemployment benefits, of course, for a couple of years. But if you get any income... Or if you start a company, then you lose everything immediately. Um, in France, for example, that's not the case. You can keep part of it, and it depends on the income you get, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and so Finland is thinking, you know, these deeply ingrained uh, philosophical choices almost that are being challenged a little bit, as you said, Paul, by the, the requirements of this situation. So there will definitely be things that, or it seems like there will be things that will be um, challenged and changed after this. Um, 
Bill Gates wrote a really interesting article uh, called, what's it called? The new, the, the first modern pandemic, where he proposes calling it Pandemic One, as you know, World War One and World War Two. like this is Pandemic One, and it's going to have a deep uh, psychological impact on everyone who's lived through it and on the countries that have, well, the whole world. Um, and I guess, huh. you know, he's a smart dude. He knows what he what he's talking about. Um, yeah. You want yeah you wanted to add something, Anna? No, I mean I think you're right. I think the only thing that we can try and do out of this, you know, like like Paul said, is try and think of the the, the positives of it, isn't it? If it's if it's all for nothing and everybody just loses their jobs and everybody ends up in depression and gloom, then it's not psychologically that's not a very cheery thought mm. either so we've just got to hope that this all leads to something better i imagine well let's do that and let's try to look at the <laughs> things that will be it's we're still in the middle of it but and yes there will be horrible things uh, that will keep coming but you know crises give us an opportunity to uh improve as well so hopefully that will happen yeah Thank you so much to both of you for being on the show. Uh, before we leave, of course, I would like to ask uh, both of you where we can find you on the internet. If you have a Twitter account that uh, we can link to in the show notes and uh, your show, of course, Hannah, um, where can people find more of what you do? Um, so you can find um, the show. It's the seasiatravelshow.com. Uh, so there's the podcast um, and along there you can find my contacts as well um, find me on LinkedIn hannah.f.pearson um, yeah so I'll, I'll send them over to Patrick so you could have them in the show notes too perfect um, you don't have a Twitter account I do but I don't really use it there's okay. Hannah, Hannah F. Pearson as well yeah, okay no well I'll, there, I'll, I'll put your, your LinkedIn very much. <laughs> I'll put your LinkedIn it's easier if that's what yeah. you use. Cool. All right. Thank you very much for being on the show, Hannah. Uh, what about you, Paul? Do you have an active, fun, uh, entertaining Twitter account? I'm, I'm putting a lot of pressure on you. N n just uh, to be clear, no one's Twitter account is actually fun. Everyone's Twitter account is depressing. So feel free to, you know, not be uh, <laughs> better than anyone else. Well, I don't know if I'm depressing. I don't... Uh... I cut out a lot of that. I up until uh, last week had deactivated Facebook for almost three months because I had been tired of the stuff on there. But um, I am on Twitter um, at Paul Jigger, uh, spelled J-I-G-G-E-R, which was my uh, abbreviated uh, shortening of my French last name here in Canada. <laughs> um, I mostly tweet about video games. Uh, beer and other stuff but i have been uh, getting into some political debates with people on there and uh that I try sounds to keep like it a, pretty easy that sounds like a perfect idea what going into political debate in, in on twitter that sounds great <laughs> well i keep i keep my followers to uh the people i i tend to agree with more so i have gotten to the point where if you want to argue your insane, crazy, conspiratorial theory stuff without any evidence to back it up, I'm not going to follow and I'm not going to respond anymore. So um, I have started in this uh, 
pandemic um, streaming on Twitch every now and then. So cool. I set up a channel on there under the name of Jaguar Farm Gaming. Um, named it after my grandpa's uh, beekeeping farm that he ran when I was a child. So Very cool. All right. Well, uh, the link to your Twitter account will be in the show notes. Thank you so much for being on the show. For me, it's not Patrick on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I do uh, Insta, as the youngins say. So go check out uh, that if you're interested, if you're young, like I am. And uh, if you enjoy the show again, patreon.com slash the Phidias Club, you can support it there. And if you want to add something to the conversation, you can find the show notes and the show, uh, the article with the comments at frenchspin.com. So uh, that is where you can find all of that. Thank you so much for listening. And we will be back in a couple of weeks with another episode. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you then. Bye. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. $15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.